Saul was going to be was anointed as the first king over Israel. Samuel was the prophet who went to Saul and went to his household. Saul was known by his appearance. Tall, handsome, strong. And as a result of his appearance, he was given the anointing by Samuel because God chose him and set him apart to be king. But the thing about Saul is that Saul, prior to becoming king, didn't really know or have a strong relationship with God. He was given the anointing, he was given the, given the power of God, but his knowledge and experience and relationship with God was shallow at best, hoping that once he was anointed and giving all the powers to bear upon God, that were his with God, it would, he, he would increase in his faith. But unfortunately, the thing that happened with Saul is he went through the motions and said the right things about God, but it never really clicked for him with God. And so even though he had all of the presence and power of God at his disposal, he acted and lived as though God didn't even exist because he had a lack of faith. Now let's contrast that with the person that we are going to learn about today. A shepherd boy coming from a family in Bethlehem, a small town. Young in his family, the youngest, seven brothers, all of them, out in this no man's land, being a shepherd of sheep. But while he's out there, he is building an incredible, faith, and an incredible relationship with God in his life, in isolation, in his own heart. He is developing this relationship in him, which is totally opposite of the way it worked for Saul, because David was out in this place, becoming a man after God's own heart. And so when God rejected Saul as king, and it became time to put in place those actions that would lead to David becoming king. Samuel, the one who had anointed Saul, was led by God to go to the house of Jesse, David's father, and choose a king. And what Samuel did and what Jesse did was they started bringing before Samuel the sons one by one. The first one was this tall and handsome man, just like Saul had been, the oldest and the, the best looking of the family. And Samuel said, not him. And one by one, the sons were brought before Samuel. And he said, after all the ones that were in the household were brought before him, he said, do you have another son? And Jesse said, well, yeah, he's out taking care of the sheep. And, he, and Samuel said, call him here. And so David came. And Samuel looked at him and he was young. He was ruddy, it says in the Bible. He was a handsome lad. 
but just a shepherd, and yet there was something in him of God. And God said, he's the one to be the next king. Not right now, but anoint him. Take the oil, pour it on his head. He's the one. He's the man that's going to be the next king. Because I don't look, God said, I don't look on the outside appearance of people. I look at their hearts. I look what's inside of them. I look at the potential that they have inside each of them. And this is what I see in him. And David is my chosen one to become the next king. So Saul's experience, didn't know God, was anointed king with a hope that he would become a passionate follower of God, and instead, because he didn't know him, even though it was all at his disposal, Saul could have called out to God, had all the same powers, all the same opportunities, and yet he acted as though God didn't even exist. How many of us in our lives are professing Christians, and yet by the way we live and talk and act, you wouldn't know he even existed in our lives, and yet we have all that power and all his presence and all his promises that come to bear in our lives, and yet by the way we live, we act and live and speak as though he doesn't even exist. As opposed to having that close relationship that's built over time, that's built over our lives, that we intimately connect with him first, and then he raises us up. And he uses us in some capacity in some way. Some people wait around until they get the title put on them. And then they start acting like they're going to live up to that. But instead it comes in the unseen ways because God is always looking at hearts. He's not looking at the outward appearance. So what we're going to learn about David's life today, there's so many things. But the first thing I've already said is that God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the heart. He looked at this one shepherd boy. He chose him, looked him, chose him out. And uh, so David now is this boy who's still seen as a boy in the family. They're at war with the Philistines. Saul is still the king. So David's brothers and Saul and the army are out in this place facing the opposite hillsides against the Philistines, lined up against each other for battle. And David's father, Jesse, says, here, take these provisions, the, this food and, and these things, take them to the commander of the armies, take them to your brothers at the, at the battlefront. So David is dispatched to the battle. For 40 days, day and night, morning and evening, Goliath comes out and challenges the people of Israel, this giant of a giant man, this battle-hardened warrior this experienced man who was full of his own self, full of his own confidence in himself, full of his own pride. And he says, and he taunts the people of Israel. He just um, trash talks them, really. He said, find a guy who will come out and battle me. If he beats me, then we'll be yours. If I beat him, then you'll be ours. And day after day this happened. And so when David shows up, Goliath comes out, he makes this big pronouncement, and David becomes passionately upset. What, is, what are you going to do about this Philistine who comes out and challenges our own God? You see, David, because of the faith that was inside of him and all that he had learned, 
He had learned it as a shepherd boy, killing a lion and a bear. You know, you can imagine this picture maybe. Let's show you a little video. It's a real short one, so stay, you're not going to get a chance to catch up to it real quick, but it's a good one. is like that guy I'm going to go rescue that deer I'm going to, he was so full of faith he didn't see a giant that guy didn't see a cheetah he didn't see a giant he saw someone who was offending God and he was so full of faith so full of experience his confidence was not in himself his confidence was in God so totally a contrast to Saul and it was built over time and he was thinking, what giant? He was thinking, the only giant in my life is God. That man over there, he's nothing. He is nothing compared to who God is. There's no giant out there. Our giant is God. He didn't even see that. In fact, he didn't see it and. And, what, and, and, and Saul, you know, was this poser who, who was afraid along with everyone else. And this has to do with leadership as well because Saul was afraid, his men were afraid. And when David said, I'll take him. Let me add him. And Saul said, okay. And so he went to put his... Saul was a big man, remember? David was a boy. So Saul went to put his, uh, let's call it 52 long armor, size 52, on, on to little David, who was maybe by then maybe a size 36 regular or something. And, and David said, I, I can't wear this. I'm not used to this. What do we learn from that? I think what we learn from that is I don't operate well wearing someone else's armor. What works for one person will not necessarily work for someone else. And we're either always trying to put our armor on someone else or we're trying to wear someone else's armor. We're not comfortable with the idea of knowing who we are in our personal identity. David knew who he was. He knew what he could do. He knew what he couldn't do. And when Saul tried to put his armor on him, he said, no, that's not me. And, and so we are the same ones. We are guilty oftentimes of either trying to put on someone else who we are with our expectations or we're trying to be somebody that we're not. And so in this case, David said, nope, not for me. I, I got to go with what I'm comfortable with. And, and you need to know who you are and how God wants to use you and not try to be someone else or m let someone else make you be someone else. And so with a sling and five stones that he picks up, he goes after the giant. The giant mocks him, of course. 
David isn't seeing a giant here, folks. He just sees somebody out there that is godless and profaning the name of God. And he goes out, needs one stone, throws it, knocks him in the forehead, puts him to the ground, kills him with his own sword, cuts off his head, and then starts walking around. He, <laughs> the head of Goliath was probably half the size of David himself. I'm trying to imagine him holding on to this head and walking around with a head of Goliath in his hand. Taking it in. That, that sounds really gross to us. Does to me. But it was, a, it was an image of the way that God can help us be delivered from our enemies and overcome those things which are in front of us. If we have the faith to believe. So David had faith in God's strength and not his own. That's a good lesson for each one of us. He had faith in God's strength and not his own. Sometimes what we dwell on in our lives is those things which we have failed out rather than those things which have been our, our victories. That's why I talked about Thanksgiving and how important it is that we don't dwell on those places where we have failed or lost. Do I think that David lost a couple of sheep in his flock to predators or something that he might have messed up in? Yeah, probably. But he didn't dwell on those things. He dwelled on the areas where he succeeded. I think we need to do the same thing. Another characteristic of David was that he was very loyal to God's plan. Even though, by the appearance of things, it wasn't coming to fruition as he thought it would. You see, Saul, because of David's victory, became very jealous and very angry and very hateful towards David. He brought him in, and then he turned on him. When he brought him in, David got to know Saul's son, Jonathan, very well, and they became very, very close, like brothers to each other. They made a covenant commitment to one another, a bond that couldn't be broken in spite of whatever else was going on around them. Maybe you have a friend like that in your life. I remember talking about how uh, Ruth was faithful to Naomi and was close to her this way. And I hope that some of you have someone, either a brother in your family or a sister in your family, someone who's like this for you in your life and that you know is there for you always. And, and I hope that this Thanksgiving, if you get a chance to be with them, you'll express to them your gratitude for their friendship, for their companionship, for their faithfulness to you, for being such a great friend. Because we all need that kind of companionship in our life. We weren't meant to live as a bunch of loners in this life. And if you're not with them, call them up this week. Say, hey man, I just, thanks for being in my life. Thanks for being my friend. You don't know how much it means to me that I have you with me. It means so much. Maybe you haven't talked to him in a long time, but you just know there's that person who will always be there for you on the other end of the line, no matter what. That's someone to thank this week. We'll always have seasons of testing. 
when Saul went after David, he fled. He fled into the wilderness. He hid out in caves. And, but he had men come to join him. He had people that gathered around him, that joined up with him. And Saul was trying to get him and, and track him down and kill him. And David was on the run. And David lost sight of this strong faith that he had. He got afraid. And you know what he did? This is amazing what he did. He became afraid. He went and lived among the Philistines. He went and lived among the enemies of Israel, the very ones that he had earlier in his life with, that represented Goliath of Gath. He went and lived among them. He got scared. He, he became concerned. He didn't know what to do. He knew he couldn't kill Saul because that was God's anointed. It wasn't right for him to do it. Even though he had every opportunity to do it, he didn't. And so he's trying to figure out how this is going to work. Well, God always had a plan. He was loyal. And, and sure enough, Saul finally was killed in battle. Jonathan, tragically, was also killed. But that opened the door for David to become king. It took him another seven years before he was king of all of Israel. But he had some very inspired followers. Jeff Wilkinson, uh, a few months ago, did a sermon on David's mighty men. It was, it was a very powerful message on the mighty men of David. He was a warrior. He was a warrior all his life. He had to fight for stuff as he went along. We all know that, you know, under pressure we will do, under pressure we will grow. But if it's too much pressure in our eyes, we will flee. Here's the other thing, though, about that. If the pressure is totally off of our lives and we reach that point of comfort, then we also fail. So we can fail on both ends. We strive for comfort and ease and convenience, but when we get into that comfortable place, as we'll learn next week about David, that was when he sinned with Bathsheba. When he had some enemies that he was battling, that was to his benefit. When he became afraid and forgot that he had God on his side and God had a plan, he fled to live among his enemies. We will do this. We'll have days of clouds, days of darkness, that kind of stuff. But always, 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 you need to come back to God. Always come back to God. After everything that happened in David's life, this was God's take on David in Acts 13.22 in the New Testament. This is what God said of David on his epitaph, if there were to be something on his tombstone. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Did David do that to perfection? No. But at the end of the day, that's what was the mark of David. And the last thing that I believe was the mark of David, or the hallmark, and I think to me this is one of the things that I... I was just, I loved about David. He was a passionate worshiper of God. Passionate. When was the last time you felt real passion in your life? And particularly passion towards God. A passion that would be just throwing everything off, that could be indescribable. He was an artist, he was a poet, he was a musician. He used everything he knew at his disposal 
to express himself to God in whatever means he knew how. Artist, composer, poet, and he would just proclaim that to the Lord. And his, his desire was to bring this ark into a new place, from Shiloh to Jerusalem, to the city of David. Jerusalem, the city of David. While they were bringing the ark up to that, he wanted to build a temple, but God said, you can use your plans, but you're going to have a son that's going to build the building. As they were bringing that ark, David was beside himself. He took off, he was just dancing and proclaiming relationship with God. Just, just, he was making a fool of himself. I'm glad none of the guys in this room took off their shirts when we were singing today. You'll be really glad I didn't do that too. Made a fool of himself. Here's something I want you to think about. The better you know where you stand with the Lord, the freer you can be. The better you know where you stand with the Lord, the freer you can be. You won't worry about others' opinions of you. What they think of you. What they'll say to you. You're only interested in the Lord's opinion. So the better you know where you stand with the Lord, the freer you can be. And here's the other one. The freer you are before the Lord, the more confident you will become because you will know that you have real security. So the freer you are with God, the more you don't have to worry about anybody else and what they think. You just go with it. And the freer you are, the more confidence you have, in, not in yourself, but in him and, and, his, and your place in him. And so the more confidence you will have in your life. That all goes together. And that's what David understood. In spite of the fact that his own wife, Michael, watched him and she was just appalled at his actions on that day. God looks on the heart. These are all the truths about David's life. We'll share more of that next week when we go into his kingship and some of his failings. He wasn't a good father. He had all about 20 sons, I guess, and a daughter. He maybe had about eight wives. He, he had lots of trials and tribulations in his life. God knew all that. But through it all, in the midst of everything, at the end of the day, he had a heart for God like no other. And personally, I would wish that I could just have, knowing what we see about David and his relationship with God, one hour of that kind of connection. I've had really good experiences with God myself. But I don't think I've had a single experience that would rise to the level of the experiences that David had with his God. And I know that's available to me. And I know that's available to you. So I encourage you to release 
all those things that get in the way of your ability to completely get over and cross all the way over to embrace God. We sang about that this morning. I'm running to your embrace. Nothing compares to your embrace. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for bearing with our weaknesses, forgiving our transgressions. Thank you for looking at the heart of who we are and that we would embrace you with our body, mind, spirit and soul today and love you. You are worthy of our praise. We extend our gratitude to you. If there's any young people in here today that were like David, You're speaking into their hearts. Raise them up, Lord. Give them a passion and a fervor to follow fully after you. We don't have to wait for a title. We don't have to wait until it's more convenient or a better time. Now's the day. Now's the time for us to Bring ourselves completely into your presence and just love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.